0: So much for us to talk about with Bob Palmer this morning. Hi, Vaughn. Thanks, to me. Okay, let's start because you and I are both fascinated by when polls tell us otherwise, and that's what happened, it seems like, last night in U.S. politics.
1: Yeah, fascinating watching the returns last night. And yeah, I am always encouraged <laughs> as a political columnist and pundit uh, when the voters clearly have different ideas yes. than the pundits and the partisans and the pollsters, and I think that's what came through the most last night. You had a, an electorate that went out and uh, cast their votes in ways that uh, were unexpected in a bunch of places. It's too soon to say what it all means because it's not over yet, as you've noted. But uh, I'll take a guess. Uh, one, that uh, the Democrat voters were more motivated than people realized to get out and vote. And they delivered uh, a number of Democrats back to office. And I'll also say that uh, clearly there were some states where Republicans didn't turn out in the numbers that were expected because of distaste over the kind of people their party had nominated. So what you get, to me anyway, is kind of a gravitating toward the center in American politics, a bit of a corrective uh, on extremism on both sides, because... Some of the Democrats that got elected were Democrats who took considerable distance from their own parties, defund mm. the police notions and things like that. So uh, try That's to be an so optimistic about it. But the best thing about it was, folks, uh, it's the voters who decide these things. It doesn't matter how often the partisans, pundits and
0: pollsters think they uh, are the ones who decide. So true, right? Because, and especially in the United States, where politics is a national obsession, yeah. Every TV, every like, coffee shop, every place you go, they've got. They're not showing football games. They are showing, yep. you know, political commentary on Fox, on CNN, on wherever. Uh, and yeah, you're right. It certainly seemed all the discussion was that it was going to go a different way, and then voters yep. had another idea. It's so interesting.
1: Yeah, no, it's true. I mean, if you go back again and there'll be plenty of people wanting to consign their predictions to the memory hole, but one of the things that was clear from we where Democrats were always already making up excuses for yeah. why they'd lost control of both houses of Congress and were grumbling about oh, we're gonna have to find somebody better than Biden and some of these candidates are too far left. Well, it turns out they did okay, you know, they're they're now going to be celebrating and saying they knew it all along. But really, really you have to be in awe in a democracy of the voters they just they just come out and do stuff that uh, the experts didn't always suspect and that's kind of as i said the awe-inspiring aspect of a democracy
0: yeah and maybe people are voting and not talking about how they're going to vote which i know seems crazy in the states but you know we talked in bc about the 10 second socred right Where you used to go into the voting booth and vote differently than what you might have told somebody you were going to vote well that happens i think everywhere
1: Yeah, and uh, people lie to pollsters. Yes. And anecdotes don't determine the outcome. You know, we scramble around out there trying to cover elections, and you look for things that happen that seem emblematic and voters who seem to speak for a larger group. Also, you know, I have to say this, too. The coverage itself may determine the outcome. All those predictions that the Republicans... Wave Good may have motivated Democrats to get out, may have led some Republicans to go, mm, I don't know whether I really like the person we're running in this state, maybe yeah. I won't just vote for them. I mean, it'll be a while. It'll certainly be a while because, you know, as you say, um, some of these races aren't decided, and it may take some time before it's really clear who came out ahead in all
0: this. So fascinating. Uh, we're going to talk about politics right here at home, too, because all this hype about huh. these health care meetings this week involved it ended up this was actually part of the prediction didn't go anywhere
1: yeah it's Adrian dick said he was disappointed but not discouraged I think and uh, it- The average Canadian can be discouraged. Look, uh, it's clear the healthcare system is in crisis. Just ask anybody who's trying to deal with it. The waiting lists are getting longer. There's a shortage of skilled people. There's uh, people can't get a family doctor. The ERs are overcrowded. Uh, There's a shortage of pediatric medicine. We've still got COVID. We've got the flu. And against that backdrop, the country's health ministers meet. And what do they do? What do they serve up? a plate of politics we basically got politics the provinces insist on their interpretation of how the system is funded and ottawa's contribution it's not in my view a claim that would stand up to an independent audit but they insist on it and they insist they want money and they want no strings attached and what does ottawa do they come back and say "Well, well we'll give you more money They don't say how much But we've got some conditions, and the conditions are some strings that uh, the provinces aren't going to stand for. And so the federal health minister, Simi, yesterday puts out – the the province has put out a statement saying the talks have failed, and the federal health minister puts out a statement saying, well, uh, the health ministers in the provincial level weren't allowed to bargain by their premiers, so the problem is with the premiers. So politics.
0: Right. Politics. More of that. We're going to be speaking with the Health Minister, Adrian Dix, coming up on the show this morning, so we'll hear more about that. Uh, Let's also talk about what's going on with the swearing-in, which seems like to be taking forever, of the new Premier doing things a little differently.
1: Yeah, so David Eby is going to be sworn in uh, on the 18th of November, so it's a full month after he he became the only candidate for the NDP leadership. Uh, and it's going to happen at the Musqueam Community Centre in Vancouver. So originally we were told, well, Government House is booked for a fundraiser that day. Well, they couldn't have checked ahead of time picked a different day. Anyway, now we're told, look, this is a gesture of reconciliation, uh, decolonializing the transfer of power. I mean, the governor, lieutenant governor is still going to do the oath-taking, it also tells you something, Simi, which is a shift, a geographical shift. The premier we've had up to now, uh, John Horgan, uh, you know, drove home to his uh, place in a suburb of Victoria every night, and the capital was pretty much centered on the capital, the business of government. Horgan did a lot of stuff here. Uh, Eby's home is in Point Grey. Uh, he, uh, His family is there, and I think you're going to see – more government activity in vancouver as you did under both premiers clark and gordon campbell because that's their side of the water so um you know i i think the gesture of decolonializing or whatever word they want to use for it is important and several previous ndp premiers did not do the oath taking at government house Uh, mike harcourt and john horgan did them uh, university of victoria Glenn Clark Collingwood neighbor house, I, neighborhood house, as I recall. So there is a precedent for doing it this way.
0: Right. That's interesting. It's, it's an, it is a nice nod, though, to have that at oh, the yeah. Musqueam Community Centre. Sure.
1: Absolutely. And, and uh, you know, thanks to the Musqueam for making the place available. That's all important. Uh, I think many First Nations leaders would say that we need to move beyond symbolism. And yes. in some cases, the government is. It's a huge task ahead. And one of the biggest challenges facing Premier Eby is uh, delivering results to Indigenous people along with all the symbols. But the symbols are important and there's a lot of history, a lot of not very nice and ugly history in British Columbia. And so, yes, this is an important gesture.
0: Okay. And the cabinet also going to be announced. He's certainly taking his time, you know, making some decisions here.
1: When they were explaining to us last week, Simi, why they added another week to the fall break in the session, Uh, the government house leader, Mike Farmer, said, well, you know, the premier's got to take some time to decide on the makeup of the executive council, which is the cabinet, right? And we're going, oh, oh, maybe we're going to get the cabinet appointments on the 18th as well. No, we're not. Uh, They're not happening until December the 7th. We don't know where that'll be done yet. But there will be a new cabinet lineup, so lots of speculation about that. But again, what? That's almost two months since Eby was the only candidate for the leadership. And I just point out that it's David Eby's people and David Eby himself, Sammy, who said he could hardly wait to get to be premier. He was (laughs) the action man who was going to take action. Well, this is kind of a slow-motion action figure.
0: Certainly seems like it. Ron, thank you.
1: Bye-bye, Sim.